Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. I got a new audio setup at home. Ooh. Very happy about it. Yeah. It's always fun to get a little time to work on the gear. Yeah, you know, there's so many inputs to outputs and outputs to inputs, and I actually had to string three audio interfaces together to get this to work. Nice. I know, I know. Everybody's like, why don't you just record your Skype call? No, this is .NET Rocks. <laughs> no. Yeah, we, we're famous for making audio that sounds really, really great, and it's a little more complicated to record it when you do it that way. Yeah. What about you? You got anything to announce? Uh, I've had, you know, I don't know why the summer is such a crazy time for recording shows, but over on the run as side, I've just had a string of interesting shows for August. Okay. So, uh, first show in August was with Paul Thorot, and we talked about how the windows team has been broken up and moved under different areas and Terry Myerson moving on. And of course, Terry and Paul have known each other very well for years. So it was just a cool conversation. And of course, uh, got a lot of excitement and conversation around that. And then I followed it with a show with Susan Bradley, mm. who's one of the patch mavens. She's the person you turn to when you're having trouble with patching operating systems, things like that. And yeah. Windows Update has not had a good past few months. The, there's been some nasty patches released by Microsoft that even broke like Microsoft products. Mm. Like there was a security patch for the .NET framework that broke Exchange. Mm. Not good. Not good. And so uh, she put out an open letter saying, look, we have to do better. Here's some ideas, things we could do. And I didn't, did an interview with her to talk about it. And it got picked up by some press. Redmond Mag ran an article about it. So that's been exciting. And this week's show, just because it's fun, underwater data centers. Nice. Hey, I remember talking about that. Yeah. You remember when yeah. that first came around, the Project Natick? Yep. Um, well, I managed to get Ben Cutler, who's one of the, the principal scientists behind it, to come and chat with me for a half hour. How and cool. And we really dove into the nitty gritty of uh, what an underwater data center is all about. And he was kind of relieved to finally be talking to someone who's built a data center or two. Yeah. And he's going to ask about leaks and fixing yeah, right. the computers. Is like, hey, Sparky, nobody fixes the computers anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we just shut them down. Turn another one on. But his, his whole point, and I, I want to give away the ending, was they figure they can light up one of those cylinders in less than 90 days. And you wow. cannot build cloud-scale data centers that quickly on land. Yeah. So the fact that they can ma mass manufacture these things and put them down in harbors and other watery areas and uh, save some energy and be efficient. It's just a really interesting story if you're into that sort of thing. So if you're down for 90 days, how many nines of reliability is that? <laughs> yeah yeah that would not be good <laughs> not be good i know i know they're good. never down for 90 days no no anyway it's yeah cool. just one of those crazy summers over on run ass nice well uh the other thing is i got me a traeger grill smoker oh you did it huh i got the wood pellet smoker i did some ribs they came out great we'll talk more about that the little corkscrew driver oh yeah it's great it's yeah, a nice I love nice it. that's awesome nice grill all right, let's roll the crazy music for Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? You know, it's a summer's evening. I'm sitting here at the house. You know, I got a nice little cocktail here. Yep. Nothing pleases me more than to blow up somebody's Twitter feed by announcing it on .NET Rocks. <laughs> that's just something i enjoy doing richard right so this is a very cool uh the account is at within and it's within vrar and they're highlighting artists adrian m and claire b 
who have an art exhibit called mm-hmm. Mirages and Miracles. That's an augmented reality interactive art exhibit. That's cool. Now, you don't have to use glasses or goggles or anything. You hold your phone or your iPad or your tablet or whatever it is up to the art, and it just comes to life. When, of course, the video that I'm looking at here is from the camera. So it's just, you know, That's it's, right. it, from the phone. So, of course, it's just there's an, there are things happening in this art. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you can interact with it with your hands and, you know, shape things. A lot of particles floating around in silhouettes dancing in 3D. And just you can't ex- describe the art. You have to just go and mm. check it out. It's really extraordinary. What a cool find. It is a cool Love find. It. Yeah. I, I sat there and watched it over and over again for a few times. So Neat. That's what I got, Richard. Who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off a of show 1316, which we did way back in June of 2016 with one Jennifer Marsman talking about lie detection using Azure Machine Learning. Oh, yeah. I, it's kind of amazing to think that was only two years ago and how far we've come with this tech. And it's just so much more mature. But this is a two-year-old comment that I think is still super relevant. Because okay. in that show, I don't know if you would recall, I know we've recorded a few shows since then, like 300. Uh, <laughs> you talked about using machine learning around medical information, yeah. being able to identify disease betters and so forth. And Brent Vandermeer at the time, two years ago, says, so check it out, mediswarm.com. It's been in the works for about a year, and this was two years ago, and is aimed exactly at what Carl was talking about. Wow. And uh, I pulled up MediSwarm, and it's exactly that. It's, you know, thinking swarm information right. for understanding illnesses and allowing people who share an illness to connect with each other. So that social social media side. Oh, we do that now, but so inefficiently. You know, we search yeah. through forums and things and try to find people who've had similar experiences. And, you know, and oftentimes... It, it's too simple. It's too simplified. And there isn't a rich set of data there that you can actually learn anything from. There's just anecdotes. So yeah. I love the fact that, that people are doing this. And, and I, I wish people would not be so afraid about sharing their um, medical information so long as it's anonymized and you know, sure. to allow science to progress at an amazing clip. I mean, we could, we could do so much with this if we had that kind of data. Absolutely agree. And Brent went on to say, I'm a longtime fan of .NET Rocks and a one-time guest on DNR TV. Oh, yeah. There's a blast from the That's past. right. Yep. And it's pretty cool to hear you guys calling out for such demand on your show. Love the episode and all the energy behind it because I think we had really a lot of fun with Jennifer. You know, she's not that restrained a personality. <laughs> uh, so, Brent, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We turn him into clouds of little particles. <laughs> Hang them on the wall. Cloudy particles. Cloudy particles. Let them float around. All right. Let's uh, introduce Jennifer. Jennifer Marsman is the principal software engineer of Microsoft's AI for Earth group, where she uses data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence to aid with clean water, agriculture, biodiversity, and climate change. Jennifer is a frequent speaker at software dev conferences around the world. Since 2016, she was recognized as one of the top 100 most influential individuals in artificial intelligence and machine learning by Analytica. 
reaching the number two slot in 2018. She's been featured in Bloomberg for her work using EEG and machine learning to perform lie detection, as Richard was mentioning. And there's so much more to her bio, you'll just have to read it all at .netrocks.com. Welcome back, Jennifer. So happy to be back, you guys. So happy to have you here. Yeah. We usually get to do this in person, which is really fun. I think the last time we did a show together is when we also had Evelina and, and Barbara, and we did that yes. panel discussion. Yeah. Oh, I loved that panel discussion. And you know, one of the things that was so awesome about that panel discussion is that it was an all-women panel that was not discussing women in tech. <laughs> yeah, right. No. And that was so awesome. Yeah. I get to build panels uh, based on the you know content available. And I found three distinctly different AI experts and said, we should put them on a panel. And it turned out they're all women. Mm-hmm. But they're also had been on the show before and friends of ours. And, and it was just, yeah, it was a really cool conversation. But it was a geek out extraordinaire. Totally. Yeah, that was Emily fun. From the data science R perspective, you've got all your machine learning work around the EEG, Barbara and the analytics side. So yeah, it was just really cool. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. I agree. So what are you up to lately? Well, I've recently joined um, a new team at Microsoft, which is AI for Earth. And Hmm. um, it it was one of those things where, um, you know, I wasn't unhappy in my old job, but I heard about this program and I just, I got hooked because the idea is, you know, how can we use all of the advances that you were discussing in machine learning and artificial intelligence to aid with big environmental challenges right. um, on Earth. Yeah. And we do have these those four focus areas that you mentioned earlier, agriculture, water, climate change, and biodiversity. And um, last December, uh, Microsoft publicly announced that we were going to um, give away $50 million um, in grant money over the next five years. Um, towards anyone doing machine learning or, or data science in that area. So whether mm. that be a startup, an NGO, um, you know, there's various uh, nonprofits, a lot of academic um, institutions, or just large corporations as well. Um, anyone who is doing data science in those those focus areas are, are eligible. And so I got really excited when I heard about this team. Yeah. And a lot of people focus on the number on, you know, $50 million. But one of the things that um, got me so excited was actually the the time. Like it's fifty million dollars over five years, and for Microsoft to make a five year commitment to something, like in in computer terminology in the yeah. world of technology, like five years is an eternity. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So I was really excited about wow this 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 is a real a real investment when you put that kind of timeline around it. And so, um, you know, I, I love doing the lie detection work and I had, you know, um, been doing a lot of other work that was cool, but, you know, as you guys know, I have young children and such, and I do have to travel a lot with my job Mm. and being able to, uh, actually do, you know, use my, my passion for machine learning to do something, um, to give back so substantially was just, so exciting to me that I was like, I got to check out this team. And so I wrote a long essay about why, you know, why they should hire me. And uh, luckily I managed to, to convince the right people. As Richard so, says, um, you've harnessed your OCD for the powers of good. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but it, it really is so cool because when you think about it, like machine learning, it's come so far in the last like 10 to 15 years. Like I got my degree in, in artificial intelligence 15 years ago and I 
I like to say it's it's hilarious because they, they actually had a degree in AI then. And I think at this point, it, you know, AI is too big. Um, now, probably the degrees are broken down into like NLP or computer vision or kind of mm-hmm. one of the subsets. Um, but at this point, like, you know, so much has happened in the last 15 years, like things like facial detection and automatic machine translation. And um, a lot of these things were just you know, AI, this, this concept of something that could maybe happen in the future and they're like solved problems now. And so being able to take all these advances we've made in machine learning and apply them in the field of, you know, to big challenges in water and mm. how do we take and get fresh water, you know, where it needs to be um, flooding. When you think about all of the floods and all of the crazy stuff that's happened um, in the U.S. and throughout the world with hurricanes and and such, um, being able to predict, okay, as water levels rise, you know, who should we evacuate first? Like, who do we need to evacuate and who is safe to stay? Um, like, we need ML to do all those things. And then in agriculture, um, some of the work I've done, I've talked to you about the Farm Beats project before, but um, the idea of, um, I guess, in uh, it was noted by the United Nations in 2009 that by the year 2050, we actually need to double our current rate of food production mm. or we're not going to be able to feed the world's growing population, like the, the rate right. that our population is increasing is growing too steeply yeah it's not because the population is growing that much it's because people are expecting to eat more that you know as we raise more people out of poverty worldwide that just the food demands are going to fundamentally change like i think if you teach people how to grow good pizza then (laughs) that's a step keto friendly keto friendly as (laughs) well well. of course i mean of course of course i've seen pizza farms out in the midwest you know they're that's kind of a thing (laughs) It, it is. And the other thing, the other aspect of that too, is that you really have to grow, like grow things in a sustainable way too. Cause there's ways you can like increase the yield, but you can really mm-hmm. damage the soil in that right. it, it, you know, you drain all the nutrients and then it, it's no good for a while. So you have to balance kind of the long-term and the short-term gains right. to keep, to keep that working at a good rate. And then all kinds of similar challenges in, in climate and um, in biodiversity, keeping a variety of different species alive. And we've done a, a lot of work in that aspect. Um, but it's really exciting because we've already given um, 137 grants um, with impact in 45 different countries. So that's wow. like really, really cool to see that um, so many people are taking advantage of it. And if other people are doing work in this area, feel free to apply for a grant. Um, it's uh, aka.ms. Uh, slash AI for Earth. And then we also have a sister program called AI for Accessibility. And that one is $25 million. Um, dollars. Um, but that's stuff like, um, do you guys remember back at Build a few years ago, um, the Seeing AI application that Saqib Sheikh did where he had the um, the glasses on and right. he was able to, u- you swipe the side of the glasses and it was using the cognitive services. Oh, yeah essentially read out loud for him things. And so it showed a whole bunch of different scenarios around being able to read a menu um, in front yeah, of him. Using big picture is he's blind yeah, and the glasses sorry. see what's going on in object detection. He just touches his glasses and it describes the scene. Right. It was right. the mood so, when he got, when he got the moods, like I can, you, there is a, a woman who is ha- smiling and, uh, and right. a, a man who is frowning like it was those little details that just made you it made your skin tingle right it's yeah. like wow we, it really we, this did. is what you can see 
Yeah, so it it is um, incredible for uh, you know people of all you know abilities to be able to get the same access to technology, and so AI for accessibility is really focused on those issues. And um, the Seeing AI project has actually moved forward a ton since um, since that video was released at Build. Um, that one really focused on the glasses, but they they actually have an app now, um, an iPhone app that allows that you can download Seeing AI that allows you to do a whole bunch of different things. So you mentioned um, the the aspect of being able to look at someone and be able to tell their mood. Well, you can actually program in, you know, the names of your family and your coworkers so that instead of just saying, oh, it's a 27-year-old woman, it'll say, oh, this is, you know, Jennifer Marsman. Hmm, um, right. Or, you know, those kind of things um, and give people a better look. And it also does some really good stuff with uh, currency. Um, so, recognizing money that this is a, a $10 bill versus a $20 bill. I know in the U.S. they're all the same size, so that's harder for uh, people with um, sight impairments to be able to uh, differentiate between the, the different um, things when they don't have, you know, in other countries they have different size uh, money for different uh, denominations, and that's a little a little easier. Well, in Canadian money, we also have uh, Braille, embedded in the money yep so, yep side, and side impairments can just feel it and go oh, i know what this now, is that'd be a heck of an app that right is there. awesome that is awesome you know, <laughs> that'd be yeah. a heck of an app you know how what yeah. i'd like to do if i was going to hack an app like that is that every every person would be j-lo you know it's like oh it's shakira you're <laughs> you know or it's like some celebrity yeah there you uh, go. The world's a beautiful beautiful place that's right, right. Oh, yeah man man you know you mentioned Getting your degree 15 years ago, not to change gears too much, but uh, having done a bunch of talks and stuff around the AI space and mostly working on history things, was back propagation even part of your your syllabus at that time? Um, it was so there was there was we did learn like neural networks and such were a sure. thing at that point, and so yes, we did um kind of you know have the the beginnings of all of that. It just we didn't have deep networks um to the level right. that we have today um so that's the the main difference was just kind of the the depth of what was possible and was that mostly just a constraint of compute you just didn't have the horsepower to do so many tiers yes yes Yep, because when I first started at Microsoft, my first job was actually in the, I was hired into um, the natural language processing group, which we called NLG, right. the natural language group. Yeah. And um, like one of the things that we were trying to do very early on, I, I my team reorged like right after I joined and I joined a group that was called um, the NUI platform or the natural user interface platform, which was essentially trying to build Cortana or Siri or Alexa or any of these guys um, uh, years ago. Hmm. And so um, what we ended up doing was um, we didn't have a cloud. And that was the main reason that we didn't really succeed yet was we didn't have the computational power that would enable us to, you know, move forward uh, and and make the progress that we needed to do. But we we made progress in other areas. But um, mm. yeah, now and it's interesting how the voice technology shifted in that you know twenty eleven to twenty thirteen when the compute sort of caught up and we they, everything improved. Uh, but before we go further into that, Jennifer, let's stop just for this very important message. Save the date for .NET Conf twenty eighteen September twelfth through fourteenth. .NET Conf is a free three-day virtual developer event co-organized by the .NET community and Microsoft. Over the course of three days, you can enjoy a wide selection of live sessions that feature speakers from the community and .NET product teams. These are the experts in their field, and .NET Conf is a chance to learn, ask questions live, and get inspired for your next software project. 
You will learn to build for web, mobile, cloud, desktop, games, services, libraries, and more for a variety of platforms and devices, all with .NET. There are sessions for everyone, no matter if you are starting out or a seasoned engineer. Expect presentations on .NET Core and ASP.NET Core, C Sharp, F Sharp, Azure, Visual Studio, Xamarin, and much more. Head to www.dotnetconf.net. That's .netconf.net to learn more and tune in. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell, Carl Franklin, talking to our friend Jennifer Marsman about AI for Earth. Yes. Yes. And, uh, yes. Uh, what are you working on a particular project? Can we dive in it, or can I oh, ask you about any of them? Because I'm looking would, at these things and I'm so excited. Oh my gosh! So I would <laughs> love. I could just talk for like an hour on all of the different projects. More than an hour. I could talk for the whole. Like I could do a whole conference. We well, got forty minutes. Go. Let's go. Forty minutes. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> so go. I split in my mind. I kind of split the the engineering work that we do into like three different buckets. There's a Microsoft Research bucket um, and some cool mm-hmm. projects where we partner um, with Microsoft Research on some of the cool stuff that they're doing um, and support that work. So that's one one bucket. And in that bucket, we support things like Project Premonition and Farm Beats. And I would love to talk more about those because they're so really, really cool. And then the second bucket is kind of the first party APIs that we're building ourselves. Um, and so what I mean by that is the end vision here is... Um, So I think of it almost like cognitive services for the earth. So thinking of Mm -hmm. like, could we put together this collection of APIs that people could leverage um, to be able to help solve these big problems in agriculture, water, climate change, and biodiversity. Um, So things like a general purpose species recognition algorithm or um, Mm. land cover mapping, which is a really, um, a really, uh, it's used, it's a little bit niche. It's used by um, urban planners and a lot of other uh, folks doing environmental work. Um, for precision conservation and things like that. But essentially the input to something like that would be um, aerial imagery. And then the output would be, you know, pixel by pixel level. Tell me, all right, this is water. This is a tree. This is barren. It's either Mm. a building or a road or something I can't build on. Um, And so being able to do that, um, we created some APIs to do that with um, uh, one meter resolution, meaning that one pixel represents one meter. Um, and so it's it's a very high resolution. Um, the the ones that are out there right now are much um, lower resolution, where there's like um, one pixel is like thirty meters or something. Um, so anyway, so that's another thing we're working on right now is land cover mapping and some of these other general purpose APIs. And then we're also partnering with our grantees and helping them be successful and potentially exposing some of the great work that they're working on is APIs as well. So um, there's a bunch of projects there that I'd love to talk about. Um, iNaturalist is doing some really cool things. Um, there's something called Spot and Pause. They're doing a lot of working around poaching. There's Wildbook. I mean, there's a whole bunch of cool stuff. So um do you want to back up and start from Microsoft Research and I can dive into some of these different projects? I'd love sure. to. Yeah, let's can okay. we start with Premonition? Because I just think the yes. whole idea is so Oh clever. my gosh. So Premonition is absolutely fabulous. So the idea when Project Premonition launched, the idea behind it was to be able to predict the outbreak of disease before it happens. Wow. So um, there's, you know, all these, remember the Zika outbreak that happened recently? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, all these things, um, like, could we have predicted that? Like, what can we do to use machine learning to to do a better job with that? And so 
in order to solve that problem, we're actually using little data collectors that go around and collect um, biological data. And those are mosquitoes. Ah, you can yeah. actually take mosquitoes actually fly around and they extract blood samples, right? And they do this from various animals. And so what we, we knew they were good for something. They, I know. <laughs> I, I actually did not know they were good for anything because, you know, you kind of look through, okay, bees at least, you know, perform pollination and there's other things. So even if they sting you, I can very clearly see the good they're doing for the world. But mosquitoes, no, no, no. But yes, this is a great application. <laughs> mosquitoes here um so here's what here's here's but let me just tell you how this works because this is so freaking cool so um basically we have a trap that can collect the mosquitoes and there's actually machine learning embedded on device in the trap as well so the trap is this the, the current version of the trap is the cylinder that has uh, 64 different little cells, so little doors that can open and close. And then there is a machine learning classifier um, built, embedded into the trap. So you can stick a, um, a lure in the middle and there's various lures. Um, some of them are based on scent. Some of them are CO2. Um, some of them are light, um, but various things. Some that of them smell like Carl's leg. <laughs> a lovely aroma i'm sure uh so basically these things all attract insects and they can fly in and kind of check it out and then fly away but um we have a classifier it's actually using um light and then essentially the, the wing beat speed of the insect is one of the main features that does this so basically the wind the wing beat speed it kind of acts as like a single pixel um you know light not light can tell uh the the wing speed frequency mm. or the wing frequency and so then we can actually tell that something is a mosquito or is not a mosquito so it's a little mosquito mm. not a mosquito classifier <laughs> so that way it'll shut that trap door only if a mosquito flies in so then other insects, a fly or whatever else, um, can, can fly in, kind of check out the lure and then like fly away. Um, but only mosquitoes are trapped in there. And so then, um, it doesn't actually kill them. It just traps them in there. And then someone can go and collect that, um, that trap and bring it back to a lab. And there we can take blooded mosquitoes and be able to extract the blood from them and then reverse engineer that blood using our genomics pipeline to be able to tell what animal it came from and then what diseases that animal carries oh my god so yes isn't that incredible that, that is great that that's, that that's even possible so you definitely need cloud scale um computing because of the human genome is just enormous uh but basically it's uh we have kind of all these different animals and then it can figure out what animal it is and then uh, um figure out you know things like a cow like does it have mad cow disease things like that right. um, so there's all these different diseases and so it can figure out from there what's what's possible. And so um, we actually did some trials in, in Houston around the time of the Zika outbreak. And so that was very interesting to kind of get that data and then have a collection of human data and, and various animals. And then um, there's just some really cool work you can do um, to be able to uh, do work. We're also um, focused on an area that's looking at a lot of, um, what is it, simian autoimmune just so it's basically the equivalent of hiv for simians wow, SIV. Right. which the argument's always been that hiv yeah. came from a simian mutation right i think that's a myth right. though isn't it it, it may or may not be, but I think yeah. it would be very interesting to be able to, you know, if there's a population with a lot of chimpanzees and, and stuff like that, to be able to gather information on how that's spreading there. And then maybe that might be applicable to some of the work with HIV. Mm. So there's, there's just a lot of just interesting stuff you can potentially do there. It's just interesting to think of the idea of using mosquitoes as your survey tool for biodiversity. How many different creatures 
blood samples can you collect from a given area? Now, it seems to me I read a story where they were mutating mosquitoes to essentially not be able to breed. Yeah, they were sterilizing them in, in Australia. That's right. And yeah. then releasing them out into the wild and they could wipe out an entire population of, of uh, illness-bearing mosquitoes, pathogen-bearing mosquitoes. Yeah. Wow. It's a it's a method for getting rid of bad class of mosquito, but you know, even every mosquito bites for blood. Mm. The idea that you could, I, I mean, I just, I'm I'm thinking biodiversity, like you put this out in the wilderness, find out the spread of of different creatures living in a particular yeah. radius. Right, that's absolutely a, a natural next step. Um, is the is the biodiversity angle? So that's something that we are looking at very very closely. Hmm. Yeah, We're doing it in an urban area to detect epidemic outbreaks mm. like you should even be able to pick up flu viruses in those blood samples if they're bitten from humans mm -hmm. right right no and that's always an important thing is what what strains of flu are happening right now and that sort of thing so yeah and, and the the thing is um it really is cool the how much faster like they can happen because it really is a very long process so right now when there's a disease outbreak what actually happens is people get sick they go to their doctor um, and then the doctor kind of um, reports instances of diseases to something like the um, Center for Disease Control or World Health Organization or one of these uh, organizations that aggregates that data. And then they see that, oh, we're getting a big, you know, a whole bunch of reports from this one particular area. We have an outbreak in, in these areas. But that by the time that happens, it's usually a, a month after the outbreak has already happened, sure. mm. right? There's all those steps of getting sick, going to the doctor, then the doctor kind of, you know, has to report it to the next step. And then the next step has to aggregate that and, or the organization has to aggregate all that and see that, oh, okay, um, mm. we have an outbreak here. So the idea is, can we get out in front of that a little bit faster? Um, and but potentially stop some of these things before they become outbreaks. So it's an exciting um, thing. And then the biodiversity is something that's also um, very near and dear to us on the AI for Earth team. So that's something else we're looking at. Well, Richard, guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. <laughs> he sounds so excited. I am happy. <laughs> it's time to announce an app that uses the accelerometer to notify you when an earthquake is happening. I call it Duh. <laughs> I'd be lucky if I could hold on to my phone if an earthquake is happening. I don't need an app. Anyway, you sure? Uh, maybe I do. I don't know. Are things falling down? Are you falling down? You might beat an earthquake. I just imagine, you know, look, this would be a scene from a movie, you know, thing the walls are falling in around you and your phone is going, "You are experiencing an earthquake." Yes, um. Thank you. It's actually time useful. To give away a free conference pass to Tech Bash October 2 through 5 and up to four nights at the Kalahari Resort in Pocono Manor, Pennsylvania for the event. Compliments of Progress Telerik. If you want to check out more about that event, go to techbash.netrocks.com. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. New this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, 
comprehensive documentation, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash download. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is John Meyer. Congratulations, John. Golf clap for you. Congratulations, John. John just won a free conference past the Tech Bash in uh, Pocono Manor, Pennsylvania, October 2 through 5th, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to be a member, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. We also like to ask our guest, Jennifer, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Oh, my goodness. Honestly, I would buy... Um, I would... There's so many interesting toys that are used by these um the work that the ai for earth grantees are using right um i would probably want one of those so i would love a project premonition mosquito trap in my backyard <laughs> yeah <laughs> mainly just to get rid of the mosquitoes um but there's also a lot of things around um just sensors and drones like the, the amount of work that's being done with aerial imagery from drones right now yeah. and how it is is incredible and i've i've used a couple different varieties of drones the parrot and the um dgi and a couple different ones um from different brands and they're great and then there's also underwater drones i've seen um that mm. i'd love to use those for some of these neat water challenges yeah right. yeah i've got a, i've got a waterfront place in my life these days and i've got the flying drone but yeah i'm thinking about the underwater yeah. one too yup no that's been on my wish list too the otter <laughs> swim cam richard something like that i mean the, <laughs> if the otters find it they will take it i will never see it again <laughs> But uh, otters are remarkably mischievous. Like it is, they, <laughs> and, and but destructive. Like boy, oh boy, they make a mess. Oh. They, they well, let right me know out, if right you get front. one when you end up cutting. I'll uh, I'll send you some video clips. We we had a we had an yeah. army, like a dozen of them, come through the pond. It's quite disturbing, oh actually. It, it looked like a military <laughs> movement. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, the, I, I'm, I'm happy to jump over to this land cover discussion just because, you know, I'm all a big NASA fan and they do this multi spectral analysis where they literally can tell, you know, that's a crop, that that that's roadway, that's building and even like toxicology things like the, you're, you can see a bloom from uh, affluent flow into a river and that, that it's growing algae or causing, you know, damage to the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the idea is just being able to take this um, and uh, provide that data to anyone who needs it. And there's, there's a big variety of ways that people might want to use it. Um, urban development is a huge thing. Like, where do we, um, what's the best way we can, you know, construct, you know, if we have to put real estate up, where should it go? How can we preserve the environment the best um, when we're doing our building, that sort of thing. Um, there was actually a really neat conversation I had with um, the Office of Civic Innovation um, in a certain city I visited. And the city was telling me, uh, the city government officials were telling me how they uh, they had this program where they gave away free trees to everyone. Oh. Um, so anyone could like sign up and like get, get free trees. Um, but they were trying to solve a specific problem. And the problem was that 
in the in the city limits, it was actually 10 degrees hotter than like the surrounding suburbs. So they had a real problem with with heat in the actual city. And mm -hmm. a lot of that is because things like, you know, roads have the, you know, reflective surfaces. So it keeps that um that heat in the air and reflects and just makes it very hot and like uh trees provide natural shade and cover and kind of cool things off a bit. And so they were actually saying, oh my goodness, it would have been so much better had we use some kind of data-driven approach to figure out where to best plant those trees rather than just kind of giving them away willy-nilly in this kind of free-for-all program. Um, if they could have used something like this to say, okay, here's where we need more trees and then be able to plant them in strategic locations to help bring down um, the, um, the heat um, in the city. So that was a kind of a really interesting thing I thought of. Um, and then there's other places as well. There's a, um, a location called Tangier uh, Island and mm. it's actually the island is eroding. Uh, there's a, a book that's just recently been published on it. Um, and so um, a, a colleague of mine has relatives that live on this island and it's this kind of sad thing that they're losing their island. It's, it's, um, you know, the water levels are rising. And so they're having um, issues with, you know, just trying to figure out how do you, how do you move forward in that kind of thing. And so using something like this to be able to track um, that and hopefully take some action to um, counteract it. And then the original use case was something that was done by the, um, the Chesapeake Conservancy. And so the watershed area in the Chesapeake Bay has, um, you know, they want to do precision uh, conservation there, meaning, you know, understanding um, down to the very uh, discrete, you know, atomic unit, um, you know, what, you know, where the water levels are, and then where they can best apply uh, conservation techniques. And so having a really accurate, up-to-date land cover map um, would help with that. Mm. And so something that you can run in real time, just you put in aerial imagery, and it will tell you things in real time. Um, wow. Here's where the water and land and such is. So, and it's it's such a developed area, right? I mean, that's Baltimore and DC and Richmond, yeah. Virginia. Like, yeah. there's just a lot of people that live around Chesapeake Bay. It's it's got to be under a lot of stress. Yes, no, that's very true. And so that's one of the things that they're working on is um, being able to uh, do conservation um, in a in a um, very accurate way and be able to use up-to-date data to be able to make the best decisions for how to do that. Has anybody been able to make a tricorder yet? <laughs> you know, something that is a spectral analyzer and you can point it at a leaf and it'll tell you the chemical makeup of it or something. Yeah. So there's been some, oh, I wish I, I wish I was up to date on that. Cause yes, there is work happening in that area, but I don't know the latest status of it. We have a number of grantees working on a lot of different things. Mm. Um, and I know one of them is actually doing, they have something where they can uh, give you based on aerial imagery, um, a whole bunch of data on like forests, like the, the diameter of trees, the height of trees, like all of this really great um, analysis of the, the forest land. And that's, um, that's a pretty neat thing as well. Richard probably knows. If anyone has a tricorder, it's Richard Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a ton of... They, so there was an... Uh, Qualcomm supported an XPRIZE competition for tricorders for the, that concept of a, of a handheld medical diagnostic device. Mm -hmm. I, I believe the prize got one. Oh, really? Uh, and I, I supported a couple of Kickstarters of those things. I have a few of the gadgets. But yeah. accuracy is challenging when you're working with smartphones and untrained people trying to use these devices. Yeah. Right? right. I mean, the, the best you can really count on them for doing is saying, you should probably go see a doctor. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of this, the chemical makeup of stuff. Like if you point it at a off-the-shelf macaroni and cheese, for example, it'll tell you whether it's contaminated with E. coli or that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a really interesting challenge. And, you know, one of the things I've often thought about in the food is like how if someone tells you, gives you, hands you two apples, it's like one of these is organic. How do you tell? Right. Yeah. And this isn't a pure, this is a chemical analysis, correct? Not just computer vision, right? Because, okay, I wouldn't expect a computer to necessarily be able to do that purely on vision if it's not something that. But the land cover mapping stuff, they use these multi-spectral sensors where they're sensing way up into the ultraviolet range and down into the infrared range. Yeah, yeah. You just see different signals. So the one that the API that we created um, works, it's a four band channel. It's um, Mm -hmm. RGB, so natural color, um, uh, red, blue, um, as well as near infrared. So ours does use near infrared as an input as well. And that is good for things like... You know, detecting large bodies of water tend to be cooler, for example. Right. Um, but so do shadows. Um, so that's one of the things that, you know, we can, you can use that information uh, to make smart decisions. Yeah, the, up in the ultraviolet is where you pick up plant illnesses. I, one of the companies I worked mm. with, with the Vatican on Laudato Sea, they were doing precision agricultural evaluation where, you know, square by square, they were able to see this group of plants is distressed because you know because of the way their ultraviolet light reacts. Like they're a different color under UV ah. because they're they're not working well. That and is the so land's cool. A bit drier, or the the classic one was, you know, a can of paint thinner got spilled in one square, and you didn't know it was there, but you could see in the UV that these plants were struggling from the poisoning from the from the paint thinner. Wow, that's amazing! It's so it's so cool. What's possible? It's so cool. It's possible. Well, and you know, you're talking about this issue around uh, effluent and runoff from farms and things. So the idea that, you know, no farmer actually wants his fertilizer to run off into the sea. They just want the plants to be fertilized. So the the idea that we could get precise enough to put only the things that are needed for that plant at that time. And drones play a role in this, but certainly machine learning to to figure out plant by plant what you need to do. Absolutely. And I think it's, I mean, precision fertilization um, is, a, is a big thing, but I, I love the idea of um, precision pesticides, right? So mm-hmm. that way we're not spraying pesticides everywhere because it's, it's actually, pesticides are really expensive for the farmer and yeah. they are bad for the environment and they're bad for us who are eating the food. So, I mean, if, if you can target and use things like computer vision to detect where the pests are and then only spray pesticides where there are actually pests, where it's actually needed, like that's huge. I mean, that's cost Is that part savings. of your Farm Beats project? Um, yes, actually. Hmm. Uh, Farm Beats does actually um, is doing work in this area now as well. Um, kind of their next next range. But there's, you know, there's so much cool stuff that Farm Beats is, is looking at. So there's a public page that shows all of the great work that Farm Beats is um, doing currently. Um, there's a lot of work um, in um, uh, being able to increase the yield um, and then being able to just use a overall data-driven approach to the farm Hmm. and um, understand kind of have imagery um, in real time and then um, be able to apply things like precision irrigation and such um, to the, you know, to the farm when you're planting Um, is just so huge. It's, you know, cost saving. It's one of those things that it's just like, it's such a win-win situation all around where it's, it's usually cheaper for the farmer and hopefully will provide better, um, more yield as well. Mm. Yeah. You make you make more food, costs you less to do it, 
and right? you do less environmental damage while you do it. Like exactly, it's these crazy exactly. multi-dimensional wins. So much win, so much win there. Uh, so should we jump over out of the MSR ones into some of the third-party ones? Maybe Wild Me. I would love to. Wild Me is actually a an amazing story. So Wild Me is the name of a, a company that um, created a platform called Wild Book. And so they have these wild books for various um, animals. So any any large mammal that has distinctive patterns, so um, distinctive flukes or spots or stripes, anything like that, um, it can actually recognize um, an animal down to the individual animal level. So not just, you know, zebra, not a zebra, but basically this is zebra, uh, you know, 2469. Wow. So identifying the individual animal um, based on these things. And so um, they have a whole bunch of different wild books. There's one for um, whale sharks, for example. Um, but here's one of the things that I think is, is really, really cool. Like besides the fact that they're identifying things to the individual animal, they're using really innovative use of social media to get data. And I think this is so cool. So think of all the people that go on whale watching trips and then post <laughs> their pictures to like YouTube and Instagram and these right. sorts of things. So what they actually do is they have an intelligent agent that wakes up at 10 p.m. every night and then searches social media. And it uses like uh, YouTube and other public things. And, and YouTube, for example, it can grab individual... It'll do um, use some um, NLP to be able to search for whale sharks, for example. And then um, after it finds YouTube videos on whale sharks, it runs computer vision to recognize, okay, is this actually a whale shark in there? And then it will apply that to a repository of known whale sharks and be able to identify, okay, this is one of the whale sharks that that we know or that we don't know. And then um, it keeps track of all of that data over time. So this particular whale shark was noted in this location at this time, like that sort of thing. So with that data, you can actually track the migration patterns of individual animals, like through the ocean. It's, it's amazing. Wow. And then, yeah. And I, I just love the use of social media, like, um, you know, people just posting, hey, here's some cool stuff for my whale watching trip and how that's actually helping with these biodiversity efforts mm. and recognizing this. And they actually post a little comment in the um, in the comment section of the YouTube video that says, hey, you know, your thank you for posting this thing. You know, we're using it for these conservation efforts and, you know, feel free to click on this link and you can see your individual um, animal. And so it takes you to this page where it links to the animal that was recognized there and it shows, um, you know, the, the other places that that animal has been seen. So kind of a map of where it, you know, where it's been and its its migration thing. And it also shows other um, other known animals that it's been seen with. So it's almost like a Facebook, a social network for animals. So this whale shark was seen with, you know, these other two whale sharks, and they seem to be a a unit where they travel together a lot or that sort of thing. Hmm. So it's really neat for um, conservation efforts to be able to see. Uh, how how they're um, traveling and where they've been located. But I just love that they're using social media to be able to further that because it's always machine learning data is always the hard part, right? Getting the data. And so um, the use of social media to procure data. Well, you know, what's occurring to me is that there's nothing that we can't do now because we we're so connected. We have all these tools and we have all this great machine learning that it's really the deficit is or the bottleneck is coming up with the creative ideas of how to put these things together to solve problems right, right. You know? i mean there's so many more things that we can do we just haven't thought of them yet 
Right, right. Even just, um, so he, another innovative use. So that's one thing. Like I love the social use of social media. The other thing is just citizen scientists. So we were talking about this earlier, mm. right? Everyday people, not biologists, but people who are just interested in, you know, helping the world. How can I do this in a way where I'm not a biologist, but I, I care about the environment and I'd love to help. Um, there's actually an app called iNaturalist that we've worked with as well. And um, it, it's an app that you can download iOS or Android or Windows phone. And um, you can, if you're going out on a nature walk and you see some either, you know, flora or fauna, any kind of um, plant or animal life um, that you don't know what it is, you can actually take a picture with your camera right there. Hmm. And then um, it will actually, um, you can, if you know what it is, you could just enter in the species. But if you don't, there's this show suggestions and you can click on that button and it's using a computer vision uh, classifier to be able to say, okay, here's the top, um, you know, 10 things that we think it might be. And it can also use location. If you have the location turned on on your phone, um, it can say that, oh, um, you know, this particular duck, for example, is found in North America, but not found in Europe. So it can use uh, data from the location as well as computer vision of things that look similar to be able to hone in on what species it is. Yeah. And so then um, it turns into just a, a matching game that, you know, kids that are like 12 years old could do where you look at the animal that the picture that you just took and here's a couple different species and see okay this it looks most similar to this one so you click on that and then you've labeled your data essentially so this allows people to help with labeling their data and then that sent off to a um a group where um, biologists and conservationists can just use this this labeled data set for doing their their work. So it's a great way to enable citizen scientists. Anyone just taking a nature walk can take pictures of plants or animals and then be able to provide that data. You know, it's cool because you get to actually learn something. I mean, we've used it in um, one of my colleagues was using it in the backyard. He saw a snake and was like, oh my gosh, you know, what kind of snake is this? And was using the iNaturalist app just to get the suggestions to pop up and recognize, <laughs> oh, okay, it's this this one um awesome. so it's it's fun for you as a user to you know learn what something is and then it's it's great information because that label data set is now available for anyone to use oh that's so cool well, i've just installed iNaturalist on my phone because this nice. is such a good idea yep. <laughs> isn't that it's cool? exactly that it's like is what is this mushroom or you know what is this tree and exactly. so it's giving you information and you're also contributing to this pool of mm -hmm. you know this plant or this animal has seen been seen in this location Exactly, exactly. You're both giving back this data and it's useful because I'm I'm one of those people who did not put in my own landscaping. You guys, I'm I'm so horrible. Like my house <laughs> is just like whatever the last person, the flowers that they put in are just the flowers that are remaining there. And so um my husband and I actually wanted to trim trim back some of the um some of the this big huge flowering uh, bush was was overtaking our yard and we were trying to learn what's the best way to do this but we wanted to make sure you know what kind of plant is this actually <laughs> we think it might be this but um and so the app is just great for things like that um just for identifying it as well mm, absolutely no that's very cool and and what yeah. a neat way to gather some data and, and right. hopefully do some good as well and and yeah. in the meantime just exercise these models i gotta presume Everything we're talking about here is just running on Azure. Like that's where this stuff lives. Yes, yes. So a lot of the grant money is done as Azure credits. So people mm -hmm, have credits mm -hmm. to be able to use um, uh, Azure Cloud Compute or storage or whatever they need in the cloud to be able to make these things um, effective. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them are, um, so uh, uh, Azure is powering um, 
uh, most of these, um, I, probably all of these, I think, uh, all of these grantee work, as well as um, all of the work that we're doing in Microsoft Research and stuff. So Azure is the, basically the engine that kind of runs underneath everything. Nice. Um, to make all these things possible. Yeah. That's very cool. So what kinds of, um, do you get to see the applications themselves or what people want to use these things for? Um, yes, I think a lot of times, so so I fortunately am not the person that has to go through all of the grant applications <laughs> and decide because, oh, my colleague Bonnie does that and I do not envy her that that task of like reading through all the applications and deciding. But a lot of times that is like one of the things is, you know, how do people want to use this and is it something that is going to, you know, have impact. And so that is definitely one of the things that we look at. But um, I most definitely am trying to play with as many of them as I can. Yeah. Some of them are harder to use than others. I mean, iNaturalist is great because I can use that with my kids on a nature walk and it's, you know, open to everyone. And things like the, the wild books are also, um, you know, you can go to whaleshark.org and be able to check out various locations of animals and see all of that yourself too. But some of it is a little bit more... Um, restricted. So if you think about things like poaching, mm. so there's a lot of work being done to be able to detect poachers and where are, you know, where are they using, you know, drones to be able to um, monitor some of these areas where there's known poachers. Well, that sort of turns into a law enforcement app, doesn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Um, like, but that's something where we could really use help, like both computer vision to recognize that, okay, there's these unauthorized people moving through this area as well as um, locating, you know, where the animals are and, and things like that. So there's a lot of computer vision there, but then you can also use machine learning for things like being able to predict, you know, where, um, where the poacher is going to go next, or if I catch up with them, you know, which way are they going to run or what's their most likely target um, tonight? Like if I have a limited number of Rangers, which there are, it's always a limited resource, the people mm. that you have available, like where's the best place um, to send them where we think um, poaching is most likely um, in this, e this evening. So there's a lot of work being done out of the um, University of Southern California um, in this area. And so we've been supporting them and um, partnering with them on a lot of their great work in the area of poaching. But that's very sensitive data sure. that, you know, we don't want to necessarily, a lot of this data is locations of these um, animals that are, um, you know, subject to poaching. And right. that's something where you have to be very careful um, who gets access because you don't want to that to fall into the wrong hands. So is there a place where we can go and look and see what projects are underway, at least which ones are publicly uh, visible? Absolutely. So all of our, we have a series of featured projects on our AI for Earth website. So do check out um, the AI for Earth website. Um, that is probably the best place to learn about all of the work that we're doing. Um, and then you can also follow on Twitter, um, myself, Jennifer Marsman, as well as the Microsoft Green account. And that's Microsoft underscore green. And that's our environmental sustainability alias. And so a lot of these environmental um, uh, applications are, are published on that Twitter account and on that blog as well. There's also a Microsoft Green blog um, and my own blog as well. So those are all great resources to keep up to date on um, the amazing work that's being done with machine learning around sustainability. You must be so happy in this job. I mean, I can't imagine you get to play oh. with data and save the world at the same time. <laughs> you know, it's so cool to be able to use machine learning to do um, something like so exciting. It definitely does get me excited about coming to work every day. So awesome. Jennifer, thanks for spending this hour with us. It's been great. 
Most definitely. Thank you for having me. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a